Danny, let's roll back the clock to many years ago, to another day, uh, see what I did there. Your early days in Pennsylvania, you were five when you got your first set of drums, was that right? Don't believe I got a set of drums yet. No, I was a little older. <laughs> I oh. bought my own very first set of drums, but I used to play my, my father's whenever he would uh, leave them set up, which was very often. But anyway, he would go out of the house and I'd jump on his drums and he'd come up, get off my drums, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was seven, he enrolled me in a boys band and I got a paper route and I don't know, maybe I was nine, ten or something like that. I, I bought my first set of drums. It was a, a Leedy Ludwig bass drum, snare drum, tom-tom, uh, one little cymbal and a, a pair of hi-hats for 75 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and you enlisted in the Navy band, didn't you? I did. Well, they were about to draft me for Vietnam, and I said, I don't want to go to Vietnam and shoot one of our own guys. So yeah. I got into the Navy music program, which was good. It was great training, and yeah, it was fine. How did Paul find working with you guys? I mean, with guitarist David Spinoza. I mean, you were from New York, right? Yeah, <clears throat> I was a session guy in New York City. And when Paul came to town, you know, it's always the grass is always greener on the other side, you know. So the English guys thought the New York musicians were greater and the New York guys thought the English musicians were greater, you know. So he came to town to make Ram to record an album and he asked for a list of the guys who were doing all of the, the top sessions. So he got, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us drummers together individually and, and just looked at us and the same with guitar players. And um, it was all done on, on the raps, you know. But he just liked my vibe and uh, the fact that I could play the play the drums and and we had some fun and he felt comfortable with me so we we jumped into the Ram album and uh, it was such a great re working relationship that after the record came out and it was on the charts and everything a couple months later he just said hey would you and your wife like to come over to England and just take a vacation and I needed a break I was working really hard so I said yeah we'd love that we get down to the south of France see my wife's family and everything so so we went over there and. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, he said, uh, I really miss my old band, and I, I think I'd like to have a band again. Are, are you, would you be interested? And I said, yes, count me in. <laughs> so that's all it took for me, and uh, I'm, we moved over there several months later, or a month or two later, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a bit later on. You did buy Ringo's Chase Stadium drum kit, didn't you? That's what they said. It was in the Museum of Famous People, and they went out of business, and... Uh, friend of mine that owned the pro drum shop in New York said, I'm going to the auction. I'm, I'm going to bid on this Ringo's drum kit from Shea Stadium uh, that they had at the uh, museum. And if I get it, you know, you can have the Tom Toms and the bass drum. I want to keep the snare drum for personal reasons. And I said, okay, sure. What the hell? I'm not a millionaire. So if <laughs> it's out of my price range. So he, he said, I got it. He calls me back. I got it. I said. I said. Well, what, what's it going to cost me for the two toms and the bass drum? He said. Yeah, give me three hundred bucks. I went. What? <laughs> Boom! I, I think I ran over there and gave him the three hundred bucks. You still got that? No. What would that be worth today? <laughs> well, uh, if it really was the Shea Stadium kit, it fell around two two million. Is what, the, what Ringo's kit paid for? Uh, uh, they put it on an auction a year or two ago, and that that went all to charity. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know. One of my drum sets that I used on Live and Let Die is in a hard rock cafe. Oh, right. They okay. have a museum down in Florida, yeah. and it's in a, in a uh, showcase thing down there. 
You'd have to go down there one day to, to play on it again. I'd have to climb into a little metal box, a little <laughs> windowed box. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I guess Paul felt a huge sense of freedom after the long and bitter breakup from the band. I mean, another day was a proof of that, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was. And uh, that was the first that we cut during the, the Ram sessions. And it turned out to be the single that was released ahead of the album. But Dave Spinoza was the guitar player on that. He played on a few tracks. And then something happened where Paul asked me if I could recommend another guitar player, and I recommended uh, Hugh McCracken that I worked with a lot. I worked with both of those guys a lot, but yeah. uh, there was something that wasn't working out. It wasn't his playing, that's for sure. Spinoza's known as a, a bit of a nutter, though. He'll, uh, he, he had a little too much fun at certain times. You know, he didn't respect Paul, I guess. <laughs> he did, but he didn't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Star stuff didn't mean anything to him, so he might he might have been a little much for Paul to handle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it, it was, I was really a thrill that we could get him to put his original parts that he put on the Ram album on this Ram On project. So he used the same guitar he used in 1971, and, and he remembered the six different parts that he put on, and he, he threw it on, and that track sounds just like the original, except you have a different voice, voice on it. Yeah, well, we'll be playing that a bit later on, in, well, just shortly, actually. You used a New York phone book on it, too, didn't you? Yes, but by the way, Fernando tried to, to get a copy of that 1971 Manhattan phone directory. Really? And you can't <laughs> do that because of privacy. But also, yeah. the cover of that phone book, it was a big, thick one, too, was done by Peter Max, so it's a collector's item. In our country, they were sent out to all, all households and businesses, weren't they? Was that the same over there? Sure. Oh, yeah, same here. Six months, you'd get another some, at your door of your home. I mean, there'd be a yellow pages and a white pages, big, thick phone books, wherever yeah. city you Yeah, once or twice a year, you get another one. You just end up throwing them away, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, we've done the same over here. Wow. A uh, great story, that. So how come Fernando, Padoma, and yourself decided to produce a remake of the 50th anniversary? Well, it's basically what it is, is a tribute. A yeah. tribute by younger generations that this album the soundtrack of their lives kind of deal, you know, being young and everything. It really meant so much to them, even though the, the album, when it was made, it was slagged by the press for a little while, and then people started catching on how great a record it was. But it, it really, it was several generations were really affected by this uh, record. And when, when Fernando, who's of that Gen X or whatever, that, that generation, yeah. you know, he's 40-ish, somewhere around there, but... You know, he had all these young friends that he does, he works with, and they all wanted to say, they all wanted to be a part of any kind of a tribute to that Ram album that made so much to, meant so much to them. So you didn't have to tell them what the part was. They knew what it was. They had, they knew the album inside out. Yeah. And they brought that love and that passion along to the performances. So it was, it was awesome. What does the new vision sound like? Well, here's a taster. Every day she takes a morning that she wets her hair. was the 2021 Another Day remake with Gordon Michaels on lead 
vocals taken from the new Ram on 50th anniversary of Paul and Linda McCartney's album Ram. We're back with Denny Sewell, who went on to drum in Paul's band Wings and perform on three studio albums of theirs. Denny, what were those times like with Wings? Well, uh, they were wonderful. I mean, we lived and worked and traveled as a family. I mean, we had kids, wives, dogs, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we did a European tour. We, we, we did before that, we did a, uh, a university tour without a gig booked, without a hotel reservation and nothing. Wow. We set out, we left North London in a, in a 12 passenger van, Paul driving, wives, kids, dogs. <laughs> we had a little, little equipment truck in our two roadies and we said, let's drive up north and find a place we can play tonight. So we drove up and we stopped at Nottingham University and asked if we could put on a show tonight. And they said, well, I don't know, the kids are having finals, so it might be a bad time. He said, well, we got Paul McCartney out here in the van. And he went, the guy, he came out of the van, Paul waved. <laughs> and so uh, he said, oh, yeah, you can play tonight. And, you know, so we did 10 or 11 shows like that, which is, uh, that was great fun. Bonded together as a band, you know, eating uh, chip buddies and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, hitting the local pub, staying in really one and two star hotels and you know <laughs> it was a it was uh, it was a, a, a birthing time for the band we we became one in that time you know you spent a lot of time on on the mother Kintyre. was that you singing around the campfire with the mccartneys Kintyre was recorded uh, after i left but i was yeah. up there we had our own farm over the hill from paul and linda's and i loved it very much up there i'd love to go back for it's on my bucket list to, to visit some friends that i have up there in, in glasgow and edinburgh and uh maybe play St. Andrews before <laughs> before it's too late, you know, great time in Scotland. And you must have been very humbled in a way that Paul's, one of his happiest times was with Linda there, wasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And all of this, you know, I still don't know how we lived up there, I really don't. It didn't take much to keep us alive, because we didn't have much. And, uh, you know, I had a, a farm, it was called the Brekahee Farm, Kilkenzie by Campbelltown, and uh, I had an antenna on the roof and a little crappy little TV and I could get five TV stations back in the day that nobody in the UK could do that. You know, I got <laughs> Telefacern, Ulster, STV, BBC, and then uh, what's the other one? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Really sweet. Of all the, the Wings hits you played on, which are you most proud of? Well, I mean, I, I love them all, but, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the Bond theme, Live and Let Die, was, was more iconic than anyone in and people say, you played on that, you know, and then, I, you know, I, I do that in my clinics and stuff, you know, and it's, yeah. it's really, a, it's a fun thing to perform, and that, that's probably, I'm best known for that. Yeah, and, and you still keep in touch with Paul to this day, don't you? We do, yes, we're very close. I asked him before we started this project, I said, hey, how do you feel about this? Cause these young guys, they, these kids, and, you know, they, they want to make a remake of the album and pay tribute to you, and he said, well, yeah, go ahead, have fun with it, man. So I said, okay, we got your blessing, here we go. And uh, once we got started, man, it just took on some, uh, it happened quickly, it, it really did. Especially, I mean, I went up to Fernando's studio, he's uh, eight minutes away from where I live in, in L.A., and uh, one day I put eight drum tracks down in like three hours' time. Wow. And then he would send them out around the world in different Parts would be recorded elsewhere and sent back to him, and he would put them into the R tracks and into, you know. So he did all the heavy lifting. I just played drums and made some some uh, critical decisions on who we should use and who we who we shouldn't use as far as parts. And I didn't even know the people. I was basing it solely on their 
their performance. Well, we'll talk about some of those names just a little bit later on. Away from the album a little bit. Now, you've drummed with the likes of Billy Joel, Joe Brown, Liza Minnelli, to name but a few. Uh, but which songs are you especially proud of, working with other artists? Well, we can forget about the Liza Minnelli. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I'd chuck that, that in was, there as a curveball. my bag. I'll never forget that. There was like a disco record that we did with Liza back in the day. Uh, but, you know, I made a lot of great records. Uh, we did this interesting record with, with Henry and I had a little band in San Francisco after we left Wings, and we did a, a recording of, we played over some live tracks with Big Brother and the Holding Company on Janis Joplin's uh, last release, which is called Farewell Song. So that was great fun. Yeah. And the James Brown, I played on a couple of tracks with him one day. We were doing a, we were doing a, um, a session with Hank Ballard. Okay. And we were just screwing around in between tunes, and we got this this little groove going in the studio, and and it was it was pretty solid, you know. And James came flying; he was producing Hank, so he came flying out of the control room. And he says, "Hey, man, this is too good for your record. This is going on my record." So he, <laughs> he and Hank get in the vocal booth, and they start making up lyrics to this track that's called "The Funky Side of Town," and it's on the Goodfoot album. Okay. So there's all kind of stuff like that that happened. I, I mean, I. I love them all, but I made records with Brazilian singer uh, Astro Gilberto. That was great fun, and I yeah. I toured Japan with her. And we played a, a, a long-standing gig in New York up at the Rockefeller Center. It was like probably a three weeks uh, performance up there. Uh, it was uh, great, great fun. And you, and you also played with the Who on Tommy, didn't you? Oh, uh, it wasn't the actual Who. It was Lou Reisner who, who did that steel ball kind of remake of the uh, the original album. Yeah. But in it, we had Roger Daltrey singing the Tommy part, and we had the London Symphony, with Peter Sellers was in the cast, uh, Keith Moon was Dirty Uncle Ernie, and yeah. Mary Clayton was the Acid Queen, and David Essex. So it had this old cast of character, and we did it up at the the Rainbow Theater in Finsbury Park, and we did like three or four performances. Yeah. And uh, it was great fun. The Rick Wakeman and I... And two fellows from uh, uh, Australia were the guitar and bass player. I don't remember their names, but uh, they we were like the rock and roll rhythm section embedded in the symphony, and uh, it was great fun. Apart from the films and the TV work you've done, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised to see that you were the drummer behind um, the theme tune to Happy Days, Pratt & McLean. We did library music that they used in a lot of Happy Days and, and uh, Laverne and Shirley and those couple of the TV shows. We used to do a lot of TV shows, but the also the one thing that a lot of people don't, don't know is I was in on the original recordings of the uh, Schoolhouse Rocks with Bob Durrell. Okay. And uh, we went in, and this was 1969, I think, and we cut some demos for that uh, project, and uh, they used a couple of the demos, uh, like My Hero Zero or the multiplication table, tables and stuff. If you went into a uh, into a bar and you saw a kid that was 30 years old, and you say, uh, Conjunction Junction, they would answer with, what's your function? <laughs> <laughs> it was it really meant a lot to a generation there. So, that, you know, I got, man, I've had a very brilliant, very loved career, man. I, I'm glad for every record I made and even the ones that I didn't care that much about. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I was there. They all shaped my uh, ability to stay alive and keep doing this for over 50 years. <laughs> yeah, and talk about 50 years on now. Uh, a lot of top musicians on this new album, Denny. Well, I mean, I, I had, as we were getting near the end of it, I said, 
we could have gone with a lot of my heavyweight friends for record sales and all of that stuff. But then I thought, that's really not what the purpose of this recording was. But I still like to have a couple of my close, close friends like Davy Johnstone. I'd love to have him just put a little guitar solo on it. And I called him up and he said, I'd love to. So I said, we sent him the track and he put an iconic solo on a song called Smile Away. It's brilliant. <laughs> Wilson's daughter involved in it as well. Carney, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I can't wait to meet some of these people because yeah. I don't know her from Adam. I couldn't, if I bumped into her on the street, I wouldn't know what she looked like. <laughs> I'm sure she, she would remind <laughs> you, Danny. If they visit your website, they can be involved in you in other ways as well, can't they? Yes, that's dennysywell.com. And uh, I believe that there's going to be some, some other products that are available on there shortly too. But uh, there's a couple of, uh, for the Beatle fans or Paul fans out there, there's a record I made with my jazz trio called Reckless Abandon that's got five McCartney songs done over for jazz. So uh, that's still available. And I did, the last record I did with the trio was uh, Boomerang, and we did a version of Live and Let Die. <laughs> so it's very cool. Yeah, I, I love doing all that stuff. Danny, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You take care and stay safe out there now. Thank you, man. You too, man. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.